Alors bonjour tout le monde et bienvenue à Montréal, dans la belle province de Québec, pour l'édition spéciale de Muséopunks, ici au Museum Computer Network 2013. Mon nom est Pierre Bois et euh, je suis gestionnaire de projet avec l'Association des musées de l'Ontario, Ontario Museum Association, et ça me fait le plaisir, un grand, grand, grand plaisir ici à Museum Computer Network de vous présenter les Muséopunks. Alors, euh, bon podcast et euh, je vais vous voir dans l'autre salle. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome to Museo Punks, the podcast for the Progressive Museum. Uh, my name's Jeff, and I'm here with uh, my co-host, Suze. How's it going? Things are pretty good. Day two of conference. I haven't had that much sleep, but I'm still feeling pretty inspired by everything that I've been seeing so far. What about yourself? Yeah, for sure. It's been a whirlwind so far, um, and some great sessions and some, uh, some great uh, uh, things happening here and themes emerging. I think... Uh, Uh, we're trying to uh, address a lot of that here with the, these shows, yeah. Yeah, I think it's really funny that so far one of the themes I've been picking up on from the, from the conference has been these ideas of play and creativity and inspiration, and that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. And so we actually, you know, got this theme, you know, organized some weeks ago. We didn't realize this was going to be a sub-theme of the conference, and then to arrive and discover that this is actually a topic of conversation happening anyway is a really lovely thing. Yeah, for sure. So we are talking about uh, inspiration, muses, and forces that inform creative digital work today with our guests, which we'll introduce in a second. But before we kind of get into that, let's talk about what happened yesterday. Did you uh, see any sessions or um, talk, have any conversations with anyone that kind of really st stuck with you? Yeah, so I think the session that really got me, and fortunately Michael Walter, who is here actually with us today, was in it. There was this fantastic session which was looking at, uh, it was called Stop, Collaborate and Iterate. I think I introduced it yesterday or I previewed it. I, I was sold by the name, but the content was just as good, looking at Liz Neely talking about the way... Um, They've been making changes at the Art Institute of Chicago with 3D printing and those sorts of things and the sorts of collaborations they've been happening and how they've been using that to change the way they're even seeing their practice. And then Micah spoke about what he was doing at Cooper Hewitt, and uh, I think we'll get into a little bit of that as well. What yeah, about you? definitely. Uh, well, that session was great. Um, I also thought the future of uh, digital museum digital departments was, was really great because um, I think museums they're we're all kind of facing the same things with what you know what is digital and where does it where does it belong and how does it interface with with the, the museum as a whole um, and so there were some really great concepts that came out of that so right and I think it was interesting because I felt like the different people who spoke and there were sort of four different panelists they actually had each come up with a different solution based to their institution but there were some some similarities with the um, things they were pushing for so right. yeah. Yeah, so, bef uh, so let's kind of get into the topic today. But right, before we do, do let's thank the people we need to thank. Parska Films, uh, who is here with this amazing three-camera shoot. Um, right. Hey, guys. We, we want to thank them <laughs> doing amazing work. Uh, we also want to thank MCN for having us and inviting us here. Um, it's, it's been really great, and uh, I, I, you know, we just want to show appreciation for them having us. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's, let's talk to our guests now. Um, we'll kind of uh, go down the line and, and, and introduce uh, first Coven Smith here. Um, Coven is the principal at Kinetic Museums, um, which provides strategy consultation to museums in the nonprofit sector. Uh, with over a decade of experience in museums, Coven's focus is on the transformation of museum culture through the uh, application of 21st century thinking. 
Uh, and he also founded Drinking About Museums, so that is a thing. That is a thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's very definitely a <laughs> um, Next up, so we have Micah Walter here, and Micah is the webmaster who is in the Digital Emerging Media Department at the Smithsonian's Cooper Hewitt National Design Museum in New York City. Now, Micah's work at the Cooper Hewitt has spanned areas of digital content strategy, management, and infrastructure planning to low-level programming and development of web apps. Before joining the Cooper Hewitt, Micah received his MFA in photographic and electronic media from Maryland Institute College of Art, worked as a freelance photojournalist in the nation's capital and in the Middle East, which I think is really interesting. And as a photojournalist, Micah has travelled extensively to cover news around the world for clients like Time, The New York Times, and heaps more. So, yeah, uh, and, and as technology continues to open the world of creative production to a broader spectrum of society, it's important for art museums to open their doors to new kinds of participation and engagement with their collections. So as, as manager of the Media Lab uh, at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, Don and Dean's job is to foster a creative ecosystem that encourages a dynamic engagement uh, between museum staff and creative technologists. Um, allowing the museum's content and expertise to inspire uh, while providing fresh ideas with the resources, venue, and freedom necessary to grow. Now, we've got one other guest, and this is a guest we weren't expecting. He actually made a magical appearance in Don Undine's uh, Ignite MCN talk a couple of nights ago. We have Digital Humanities Unicorn. Now, I believe we have a brief bio. We have an official bio. Digital Humanities Unicorn is the voice of reason Uh, mediating very important museum discussions between curators, uh, artists, hackers, and other folk. Yes. That's that's basically true. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of do all that. I'm pretty awesome. I won't be speaking to him. (laughs) (laughs) We basically want to kick off this discussion by asking how you got to where we are now. How did you get to the place where you're working? You know, Coven, Kinetic Museums. How, How did you get from a young scrappy kid growing up in Florida, <laughs> I believe, to to Kinetic yeah. Museums. Uh, well, I mean, I think like all of us, I, I fell into it kind of by accident and then discovered this community that I loved. Um, you know, so I don't think my story is spectacularly unique <laughs> amongst <laughs> those of us at this conference. So, I mean, my background is, is all in music, I've, you know, music composition and, you know, um, as Jeffrey knows, I used to play in lots of touring bands and stuff, and as I had started doing some database work, and a friend of mine who was a registrar at the Indianapolis Museum of Art said, hey, there's a job opening up that I think you might be good for, and it was their collections DBA. Mm-hmm. And so I got in and um, just started doing more and more than, I, you know, I went sort of way beyond my original charter which, again, I think is not unusual amongst those of us at this conference. <laughs> and, you know, just found that, that it, it was a, a sort of problem domain that was really interesting to me. Um, it seemed like there was a lot of opportunity for somebody who had, I, I don't want to say the sort of background, because I didn't really have that background, right. um, but the, the sort of kind of way of approaching problems that, that, I, that I had. And so I just kind of kept doing more and more, and so, you know, I've been at three different museums in the last 10 years and and now just recently uh, decided to strike out on my own and doing that. Can I just ask, can I pick up on one thing you said? You were talking about that you were doing music and then you started moving into databasing. Do you think there's a synergy between those two? Was it one playing against the other or 
Do, is there um, a relationship there? Uh, sure. I, I, you know, I think a, a lot of um, technology people are, are either former or current musicians. I mean, I, okay. I, you know, I know there's like studies on why that right. works because um, it pays better than, than <laughs> <laughs> right. and they seem to be good at it. So then that part takes over. <laughs> but they realize that their band sucks. <laughs> Not that your band sucks. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> uh, and so we should probably point out at this point that these two used to play in bands together, I believe. Oh, no. So, and Which is one of the reasons we thought it would be interesting to have you both on the show for this discussion. But, but before we get to Hi, Micah. Yeah. <laughs> Micah. Micah, how about you? Yeah. I was in a band once. <laughs> Were you? Two, yeah, in high, in high school. Definitely? No. Um, I... I found I found museums really accidentally. Also, I was um, uh, after grad school just looking for work and, and found this job as sort of it was supposed to be sort of a six week gig, uh, and it kind of blossomed into a real job. And uh, I kind of love it. It's it's strange. I, I had never really considered museums as a career. I never really even thought of it. And um, when I started working there, it, it just kind of clicked, and uh, my team built out and got better and bigger, and, you know, kind of awesome. So it seems like, I mean, all three of you, uh, myself included, kind of have this artistic history in Suze as well. Um, do, you, do you consider the museum your, your instrument or your, um, uh, your, your mm. creative outlet now? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. For sure. Right. That's the end of that discussion. Okay. <laughs> okay. But how much? I suppose how much then do you bring that creativity that you had had in sort of formative spaces into what you're doing now? Like, are you, do you think you're channeling almost the same creative energy that you were putting once to other pursuits, and and still maybe do in other areas? But is it? I suppose I'm, what I'm trying to get at is whether creativity is domain-specific. Like, is, are you creative in different ways because you're in the museum than you were um, as a musician or as a photographer? No, I, well, I, I would actually say that the process feels very similar. I mean, at least when I'm having a good day doing right. museum work, the process feels very similar. Okay. You know, in, and, and some of that comes from, you know, not just, oh, I have a musical background, but a particular kind of musical background, um, which is to say, you know, I, I used to lead a, a big band, and so I, um, uh, you know, I was a jazz composer. And so in a way, like, that sort of informs my approach to problems, which is I like to sort of set up the structure and then sort of, like, see what happens, like, in a, in a way, handing it off to other people at that point and sort of seeing what improvisation occurs there. I'm... I'm not, you know, although I have a, a sort of traditional composition degree, I always found that kind of composition extremely restricting. Uh, it was really hard for me to have to figure out every single note that needed to be played um, throughout the piece. Um, I much preferred to sort of get to a certain point and then have there be an open-ended thing and, like, have this happen. And so, you know, certainly in my approach to working with people and problems in institutions, that's that's really very much my approach. Like, I... I, I don't really like to plan out everything to, to the end of because I just sort of understand that we're going to get to a point where once we're in a very real environment, people are going to do what they're going to do, and maybe I can establish a framework in which that will occur. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's no doubt that it absolutely informs that, and and I think to to me the creativity feels very similar 
Mm. You know, I mean, um, I think I miss the physicality sometimes yeah. of, of playing music when, you know, when I don't, when I haven't been playing in a while, I, I miss that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for the most part, I'd say it's, it's, it's close. How about the how about the personal aspect of, of creating music and creating in a museum and, and riffing off of other people? Um, can you guys speak to I know the Cooper Hewitt kind of from your session yesterday, Michael? You, you really touched on the ideas bouncing around and kind of yeah. acting as like a um, you know a working kind of group. Or and how, I mean, how's that working? And, and how does how does that affect what you do? I mean, uh, you know the the idea of riffing off other people, other things. Uh, is really important. I, you know, I don't really just consider myself a coder necessarily, even though that's kind of what I do all day. Um, but I look for other little pieces of things I can find out. Um, you know, how to put things together and make new projects that you know from kind of rinse and repeating other people's <laughs> stuff. And uh, yeah, maybe it's copying and pasting, but um, you know. That's okay. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, it's theme yeah. and variation. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's actually really interesting, though, that you just sort of said, I don't really consider myself a coder, even though that's what I do all day. Because one of the, one of the things I'm really interested in is how, how you think of yourselves as creative people in this space. Like, I suppose, when we were getting to that question of, is the museum your instrument now in yeah. some ways, I'm interested in, and, and Don, I'll sort of ask you this, your sense of self-identity as a creator. Right. How, is that, how does that fit with your sense at work or, your, or sort of your job? Right. Well, I get, similar to what, what, what COVID said, right, a lot of what I try to do is create an environment where people can be creative together. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said with, in, my, in my talk earlier, um, you know, I, I used to ma- manage this 35-member musical collective of improvisers, and my, basically my one rule is I would never say no to anybody. And the trick was just to get the right people in the right room and get them sort of entrained together so that they were so that they were cooperating. And similarly with running a meetup of digital creatives where you, you have a little bit of control over who comes in the door, but not 100%, and you're not dictating the state of affairs, figuring out how to create that good environment uh, where that kind of stuff can happen is really important. But I think what also helps is this, uh, and I think this has happened maybe in the last five or five years or so, is this idea of, of the coder as a rock star, right? Like the digital creative, like you don't go to a rock show, you know, a modern rock show without ha- without them having a like a visuals person, and that visuals guy isn't just like. You know, um, you know, playing uh, videos or something, right? He's doing like live RGBD cameras on the on the bands, and you like, you know, bands have coders now in the band, right? You can go to art shows, and art shows are almost like rock shows with the new um, uh, digital creative stuff that's going on. So, if people are getting a hackathon, is kind of like a jam session, right? And people getting together, and I think that that attitude of people forming these small groups of four to five people that do creative stuff, invade spaces with video projectors and things like that, is very much like um, like a guerrilla rock band sort of thing. So, we're just creating a space for that. Yeah. So, I mean, how important is curiosity to you three? Um, both, you know, kind of outside of the museum. Like, are you curious? Do you pursue like uh, ideas and concepts down rabbit holes to get to to get to to something of, of meaning? Yeah, for me, it's the most important thing. I mean, that's that's where I start. You know, I I see things. I, you know, like I said, I copy and paste things from other people. Uh, I see other people in my team doing things, and that gets me really excited about. Uh, one thing or another, and that always leads to what I'm working on. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, curiosity is, is key. Yeah, it was actually interesting in your session yesterday. I, I thought it hugely interesting that you spoke a lot about creating problems because mm-hmm. I think there's often this mm-hmm. discussion about we're looking for solutions, but what you were saying is, oh, no, I'm looking for new problems, and then I go and solve them. But actually, I, I just found it really interesting that you sort of started with the problem itself. Is that, I mean, do you think, like, Coven, are you looking for the right problem to solve, or are you looking for problems, or are you, or are you looking for um, solutions? Oh, no, I'm never looking for solutions. I mean, <laughs> you know, like, in a way, I, I sort of feel like... It's your timeline. Um, right, right, yeah. <laughs> never looking for solutions since, since 1975. Um, no, I mean, you know, in, in, in a way, it's almost like... I, I feel like the heart of it is actually defining the problem, and, and I sort of feel like if I get to a point where I define the problem accurately, the solution will become obvious. You, you know, so... And I, I, you know, I guess in sort of tying that back to, to my, my background, I think that's sort of the nature of what you're doing. Like, I, I, I mean, like, writing, writing music where I know what the outcome is going to be, like, is just tedious, mm-hmm. you know? I, I mean, it's like, why would you do it, you know, if, if it's not an exploration of, and if it's not about sort of understanding that there are going to be discoveries along the way, like... Uh, maybe some people enjoy that. I don't, you know that, that, and that's not not where I'm coming from, and that's definitely not the way that I a- approach problems in in our space. Hmm. So let's talk about things outside of the museum. Let's talk about like muses and life changes. Like Coven, I know you have a, have a, a, a young son at home. Um, Heck yes, I do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how? Want a picture? Just a picture. <laughs> <laughs> How how has uh, how how do life events like that um, you know kids or what maybe it's a maybe it's moving to a new city or, or something like that how do you, how do you think that affects what you do creatively um, are you asking me yeah oh okay we'll, <laughs> we'll me, get to it <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I mean that's a huge part of it I mean. Um, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that my decision to kind of go freelance, I mean, had everything to do with, with my son being mm-hmm. born, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I wasn't seeing him. I was, you know, I'd spend an hour a day with him, basically, at the end of the day when he was cranky and I was tired and, you know, and it, and it was just like, well, okay, then why, why am I doing, what am I working for if, if, you know, if I don't, if I miss out on six years of his life, right. so... Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely, it influenced that. You know, now I wake up with him in the morning, I get the first shift while mommy sleeps a little longer, and, you know, and, and then I go to work for a while, and mm-hmm. then I come back from work, and I hang out with him, and then I go to work again, and, you know, it's, it's great. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was interesting having Tina Roth-Eisenberg's uh, keynote yesterday, yeah. and she was talking about the catalytic yeah. effect that having kids was for her. But I think there are sort of all <clears throat> kinds of life changes that can lead to really creative, generative um, moments in life. What about you guys? Have you is there something that you can think of that was a really um, sort of catalytic moment in terms of your creativity? Or I mean, working in the Middle East for me, I imagine must have been interesting, but that might not have been one for you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was, and that was a long time ago, but it was the same kind of thing, you know. Coming to the city, I live in New York City now, and coming to live there was sort of by accident again. And now that I think about it, it's that's one of my huge uh, sources of inspiration uh, just being in that city I live in Brooklyn and I commuted about an hour to work 
and all along the way there's so much going on so much stuff to do uh, it's just been incredible and uh, the, the, the people I've met and all, you know and all the things that I've done in, in New York City has just kind of uh, molded like what I the way I think about the world it's, it's really incredible but in the Middle East too it's just uh, living in Tel Aviv for a long time that inspired me hugely yesterday you mentioned that you have constantly have many tracks going in your mind and I'm a little concerned that how many things you know that you're thinking of right now while we're in this session Um, but uh, I'm sort of interested was that always the case or has that been exacerbated then by living somewhere so rich as New York City it's always been the case uh, for me and it's been like a big problem when I was in school Hmm. you know it's really hard to focus on homework and stuff like that when you're thinking about all kinds of different things all the time Uh, but now I feel like I've kind of you know, tune that thing down to a, a, pr- a pretty nice thing so I can actually get things done. Mm. And uh, when I'm thinking about all kinds of th- different things at the same time, uh, it actually, in the, in the environment that I'm working in now, it actually sort of makes sense. Uh, and it's kind of kind of fun for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. How about you, Tom? The birth of Digital Humanities Unicorn? Was that a, uh, yes, right? it's pretty much my founding. Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> my time as a jet test fighter pilot <laughs> really formed me. My ability and willingness to sort of take risks. In like, nothing is really that serious, right? You work in a, an art museum. You do something wrong. No one's gonna. No one's gonna die. And once you've like stared death in the face like that, it's a, it's a different. It's a different thing. You don't have to take things quite so seriously, and you can feel more like. Joy and you know in art. So how about yeah. moving to New York? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every every time uh, every time everyone gets really tense at work, I always say, you know, we work in a museum and we're closed. And come on. It's actually so, Donnie. Clearly, that was a reasonably funny answer since we're all sitting here giggling a little bit. But. I, I want to bring up humor because yesterday you brought up humor when you were talking about your creative responses and clearly the invention or the creation, the birth of Digital Humanities (laughs) Unicorn indicates some sense of lightness or humor in the way that you look at the world. Well, when you work in a particular institution... Um, I was having this conversation the other day where it was like, why aren't people happier? You go downstairs and you're surrounded by all, all this awesome art. And at the end of the day, usually no one's really, you know, suffered in any tangible way. And why aren't people, why aren't people happier? And I don't know, for me anyways, like, uh, but my thing about, about having been a musician is I really miss the stage. Can you tell? Um, <laughs> I, I really, I really do love attention. Um, and so, you know, humor is a way of, Reinforcing my sort of self-image as, as a performer, right? The perform and the, I think the performance aspect of how we do our job is really important, right? Recognizing yeah. that when we are in front of people, we even if it's you know any sort of professional environment, you're really sort of on a stage and you're wearing a mask, and your choice of what persona you want to present should be geared towards the kinds of you know energy that you want to put into a room. And if you go into a room and you're dour and you sit back and you fold your hands, then no one else is having any fun and no one wants to be there. And the next time you want someone to do something for you, they're going to remember that you're not any fun to have around. They're not going to be happy when you walk into the room. Huh. And I'd much rather have people you know, happy when I walk into the room to set things on, you know, on my tone, even if it's a boring business meeting. Right? To say nothing of trying to like inspire like digital creatives to do neat stuff, right? You can't go, you know, you can't be a sourpuss. 
Let's stay with humor, and because I, I want to talk about Cooper Hewitt's use of, of institutional humor in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that is that a conscious decision to kind of inspire that, or is it? I mean, it just, just happens, you know. Yeah, like, yeah we. Um, I think the team we have just likes to have a lot of fun. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, when we built the new uh, the, ori- the original Alpha website, that was one of the things that happened naturally is that we just started finding things we didn't even know really existed. Mm-hmm. Um, it was sort of a byproduct of building the website. Um, I had never really explored our own collection until then, mm-hmm. and it's actually it can be really uh, really fun, you know, and really hilarious. There's things in there that just make no sense to me <laughs> but you know they're they're individually awesome and uh, we have a lot of fun looking through things and uh, constantly printing out random things we find in the collection and putting them up on the wall uh, and coming up with ways to think about and talk about uh, the problems we're having really in a real physical way uh, with lots of humor that's yeah, that's that's big but that's actually quite interesting this idea of I want to say drawing inspiration from the collection or from what you're doing with the collection because obviously this is a conversation about museums and I'm curious as to whether you I mean you obviously do look to your collection for inspiration there you are the two Coven do you go to the collection or um, other institutional collections for inspiration or does it come in different ways um uh this will get me in trouble, but no. no, no. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah. Art is horrible. No, I, I mean, um, I love art. There's certain artists that I absolutely adore, no doubt. Um, I wouldn't say that inspiration for my work comes from that. And, and in a way, because I don't have a lot invested in that, I feel like it allows me to see the issues surrounding it more clearly. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, in a way, that's why I feel like ultimately I've been far more successful in this field than I ever was as a musician. I mean, not that I did horribly there, but but it was just like I cared too much to let go of things that I should let go of. Yeah. And and in this in this world, because that that sort of the context of the work that I'm doing, I'm willing to let go. I feel like it enables me to 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 address the problem more 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 clearly and more straightforwardly. Hmm. So we talked a lot about you know, artistic inspiration and curiosity. Um, I'm curious, um, Don, has there been a person that's been instrumental to you? <laughs> a real person? <laughs> Darth Vader. <laughs> yeah, this guy um, taught me everything I know. Um, uh, um, Aaron, yeah, Aaron, Aaron Coburn. I had you know a handful of like I, my first boss when I worked at an ISP who said, "Learn. Uh, I want you to sit here and answer phones and then teach yourself programming because this is this is how you're gonna get ahead." Mm-hmm. And like just basically let me take time to to learn and teach myself things and put so like a handful of people who um, who trusted me that I could that I was was more than just you know what I seemed like at the time that I could do that I had more potential in me than I saw um, yeah I've had I've been fortunate that I've had some people like that in my life who like help me go to like, the next level and I only disappoint them slightly <laughs> so <laughs> it's pretty awesome right what about you Michael um, yeah, certainly my boss has really opened up the doors to all kinds of possibilities. It's been really awesome to have him. Uh, and my our former director who passed away uh, actually just 
you know, explain to me what design was. You know, I, I was working at a design museum. And I didn't really understand why this was so important. And you know, we sat down one time, and he was kind of like, you know, everything is designed. You know, this, this glass. Someone considered how it should be shaped and formed so that it feels nice in your hand. Those kinds of things. He really uh, kind of set the tone for everything else. Right, and I guess that is actually then also bringing in inspiration from other areas. So we get inspiration, or at least I know I get inspiration from really surprising sources and really surprising things. I mean, yesterday, Mike, in your talk, you were talking about drawing inspiration from the idea of wanting a class Oldenburg uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) piece to speak to you. Um, Where, where do you? I mean, where do you draw your inspiration from? I don't know. I mean, it's sort of you don't really think about it when you're actually drawing the inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, I I love the city. You know, I, I like going to museums and uh, talks and exhibitions and things like that, and uh, music shows, what, whatever. Like, I draw a lot of inspiration from other artists, yeah. uh, from uh, my colleagues uh, who work, I work very closely with. Uh, it's just the people around me, the things around me. It's kind of it just kind of happens. It's not really. I don't wake up and say, you know, I need to go draw some inspiration from uh, this exhibition. <laughs> it looks really good. It's just it's just one of those things that you you stumble upon, you know. And uh, the Klaus Odenberg thing was just like that. I was interested in the show because someone told me about it. I didn't really know who he was, and when I got there, I was just kind of like, oh yeah, look at this. This is really interesting. And next thing you know, I'm thinking about a completely different part of the part of the puzzle. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Coven, what, what where what do you read uh, that informs you online or for authors? <laughs> you read? We're talking a lot about music and stuff, but like like who like who are some of the, the, the great minds that you, you draw from? Um uh, yeah, the the list is not that spectacular. I mean it's probably the same ones that everybody but I mean certainly I, I think the first time I read an article by Clay Shirky, I was just like, yep. like, oh, 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 oh my gosh. Like, yeah. it, it was just like suddenly it, it seemed like he had just, I mean, to, to be really melodramatic, sort of uncovered my eyes. It was like, oh, he's seeing this problem clearly in a way that no one else yeah. has or, or was able to articulate in such a great way. Um, you know, so a lot of the authors that I that I like that I feel like directly inform my work now, I, I like authors like that where I feel like no unassu- no no assumption goes unexamined. You know, mm-hmm. Stephen Johnson sort of the same way. You know, so um, yeah, I mean, definitely a lot of those folks. Edward Tufte is, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. um, a huge one, obviously. So um, yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> I'll stop there. <laughs> I want to know, I'm just sort of going slightly back to what Michael was saying about not knowing where inspiration comes from. Mm-hmm. What role do you think luck has to do with it? Luck has nothing to do with it. <laughs> it's all intention. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, because if we're talking about setting yeah. up situations and then seeing right? what happens... Yeah. How much is, is well? You luck? gotta you gotta be lucky, and then you've gotta figure out how to. Uh, you gotta be able to leap on that luck, right? You gotta be able to ride ride that wave, um, surf that train, 
<laughs> Help me out here. I got to learn how to do it. <laughs> when the wind blows, you need a sail. Right? You gotta have to recognize when you've got luck. Recognize it and be situated, nimble um, enough to to grab it. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I think I think chances are that luck is it. Luck, lucky opportunities are probably going by all the time. They're probably always happening, and it's just when we're in a position to recognize and grab it and move with it that we call it luck. Hmm. Huh. Hmm. Do you two agree with that? Oh, yeah. I, I would. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, you know, it's like when you have happy accidents in anything, it, it's like, you know, that happy accident is usually the result of you creating an environment in which a fertile enough yeah. for that to occur. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, you know, it's like luck happens every day that you don't recognize. Right. You know, it sure. only feels like luck when you're like, I worked hard to get here, yeah. and then right. this great thing happened. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And huh. so, I mean, so, yeah, I, you know, I think there's very few things that have happened where I'd be like, "Oh, that was just a complete roll of the dice, and it worked out." You know, I don't, I don't, I don't think that happens all that often. Mm-hmm. So it's more like opportunity creation and realizing like what right. the possibilities yeah, yeah, yeah. are. Right? Yeah. yeah, cool. Hey, I feel like we're already really lucky. I mean, we work in museums. We have really cool jobs. Yeah, sometimes yeah. we forget yeah, it, but really, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're already pretty lucky. If if you guys weren't working in museums, uh, where would you be working? Google. <laughs> <laughs> I was helping JLo sell tracksuits before this. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I like this work. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's sort of fun. It's hard to imagine doing something else, although I'm sure eventually I'll have to. Can, um, I, can I go back to, I mean, before we were sort of getting to the capacity to look at things with um, almost an unbiased or a less biased eye, sort of the difference between when you were talking about music and that really close relationship that you had with it, then mm-hmm. the capacity to look at something with a bit of a distance. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sort of really interested in terms of thinking about playing within the museum, the museum structure, mm-hmm. whether you think you can affect more change from the inside or from the outside. And I mean, particularly you're now just sort of going through a role change, but I'm just really interested as to if we're talking about sort of affecting the internal culture of the museum, but also sort of um, museums in their space in time, I suppose, do you think there's more power that can come from inside or from outside? I might ask well, Donnie. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, I think that the things that I'm trying to do could not be accomplished by someone coming in outside the museum. Right. Because it takes long-term relationship building mm-hmm. to get people to agree to yeah. stuff that is, is sort of outside of their bounds. Mm-hmm. Most of the things I want to do happen initially because someone pulled a string or said, okay, because I brought them chocolates or, you know, or pizza or something. <laughs> um, because, uh, but, the, the, but also that change couldn't happen without the people that are outside the museum enabling that, right? Like I try to create an, an, a, a space that's different, sort of like clear, clear pathway so, so that outsiders can embed themselves more deeply inside the museum and affect that change. So creating that like a virus, right? Creating a pathway for infection to get in and then spread throughout the institution. But I have to be there to be like um, the, the pathogen. <laughs> How am I doing with there? Bring, bring that metaphor home. Man. Bring it home. <laughs> right, right, right. So it's, it's I mean, yeah, I, I think I, I think to really to, to do that in that particular way requires that being there. But I think someone from the outside could come in as a catalyst to help demonstrate that the this this uh, this disease exists that you could be infected with, right? 
to expose you. I'm really, this is crashing <laughs> on that. <laughs> but <laughs> just going to let you I'm run out your string on that one. <laughs> what about you, Micah? I mean, I, I, I always felt like I am from the outside. You know, I, I came to museums yeah, really right. by accident, and I still sometimes kind of don't really consider myself a museum person, yeah. per se. And, uh, you know, I, I look at the museum in a completely different way. I had no idea we had so much to talk about as museum mm-hmm. professionals. Oh, and I didn't realize right. museums had this much to do. I always sort of thought of them as these, you know, places where all, people put all this old stuff. And uh, now that I work there and I see what's actually going on behind the scenes, uh, from an outside point of view, it's actually really fascinating. And that's kind of what gets me charged up sometimes. Yeah. So actually, do you think it is the, the fact that you didn't have that sort of pre-knowledge, that you didn't grow up with it and wanting it, that then gives you the capacity to think about it in different ways as yeah, well? Yeah, sure. And, and I think when I, when I first started there, I was kind of excited by the idea that I would be working in a museum because I never really considered it before. And I couldn't really wrap my head around like what they actually do there. You know, I was just sort of like, what's, what, what's, what are we going to do? What, what, what's going on in here now? It's, I'm just like... Wow, we have a lot to do. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's it's incredible. You know, it's it's something people don't realize. You know. Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Coven? I mean, kind of coming at it from the outside now. Like, what, what you, what's your perspective? Well, I don't know. We'll see. I haven't yeah. been coming at it from the outside for very long. Right. <laughs> you know, um, so I don't know that I can speak to that a ton yet. Um, you know, but certainly I will say, having been on the inside, there's something about the the friction of being there that I think yeah. does does create good work mm-hmm. and you know frankly I'm a little nervous about losing that you know like almost in a way because I've seen what that looks like from the inside when an outsider comes in and right. you know I forget it was you who said yeah. this this morning you know basically you have an outsider come in and say the same thing that you've been saying all right. along and so right. that it's paid attention to and mm-hmm. you know if I'm now in the position of being that guy, <laughs> you know, right. in, in a way, I'm like, eh, I'm, I wonder, like, uh, like I might kind of miss fighting the battles, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, because by the time I get called, like, that battle's kind of been won. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll you know, we'll, we'll have another one of these in a couple of years, and I'll let you know. Yeah, I mean, there seems to be a different power, uh, sort of power capacity within each of those positions because as you say someone can come from the outside and say exactly what you've been saying and be listened to in a different Mm -hmm. way because of their external voice or sort of supposed lack of bias etc whereas if you're on the inside then you're sort of doing the change sort of maybe uh, in a way that's less visible or a way that has less um, sort of obvious Obviousness, I suppose. <laughs> cool. So this has been a really, really fun discussion. Thanks for uh, joining us today. Glad um, to be here. Awesome. Thanks for having let's, let's go down the line. Uh, Don, if, if somebody wants to find you online or, or, or twit with you. Ampersand uh, Don Undine. Uh, ampersand Michael Walter. Uh, ampersand five easy pieces. Um, there is another. ampersand is that little at thing. Yeah. That's that little thing with the email from the emails. There's another question that we have to ask though. So we are here at the Museum oh, Computer Network it. Conference at MCN, and one of the traditions of MCN that is now finally a wait a minute, sorry, ampersand is the sorry God, you guys both made me question that. I was like, I don't think that's an ampersand, <laughs> but that's what they said. Yeah, computers. Sorry, we just destroyed any sort of authority that we might have. 
<laughs> wait, wait, no. But here's here's where you can win it back, Don. <laughs> Watch. MCN, we have a tradition, yeah. and it's a tradition of karaoke. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what I want to know, what's your go-to karaoke song, and what do you intend to sing tonight? Martika Toy Soldiers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Micah? Oh, man. I'm a horrible karaoke here. You and me both. But I really have to remember. I'm not sure why that matters. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a good karaoke here? <laughs> Didn't I just say Martika Toy Soldiers? <laughs> Maybe something by Huey Lewis. Yes. Oh, yeah. Nice. nice. Yeah. You're just playing yeah. to the crowd. <laughs> Man, we'll just do the whole album sports. <laughs> you and me. That's the way it's going to work. Yeah. Um, prime, my go-to, if they have it, would be uh, R. Kelly's remix to Ignition. <laughs> but they never have the remix. They just have Ignition, which no one has ever heard. So I'm, we'll see. If they've got the remix tonight, I'm doing it. Do you want to give the details about, uh, what's, uh, about the where and when and all that stuff? Oh, uh, if I remember them, I would. Oh, okay. Do you have a program there? I'll yeah. find out. Wait, I said you have a program, but this would be uh, broadcasting time for people. No, but there's to... people in the okay. room, maybe, you know, yeah. the watching and, you know. Well, consult well, your, yeah, consult consult your program. That's good. Cool. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, we, uh, we've, we've bought out the whole place for the night, so um, we'll be, you know, there will be no one but your colleagues there. There will be very little probably like on stage solo performing, so don't don't get nervous and feel like, oh, I can't do that because right. it's everybody will be singing. You, you're going to be fine. It'll be great. Can I really and quickly ask why, why karaoke? I know why I go, but I'm really interested, like, why we as MCN, why karaoke? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I mean... Uh, I always thought, I mean, because we started doing karaoke at, at MCN like three years ago, I think, something maybe. Um, and, you know, by this point in the conference, you're just so overclocked. You know, you, you've just been like focusing and focusing and focusing. And typically by Friday night, you know, the tradition had been like, I'm going to just have a lot of beer until I can't think anymore. <laughs> That's how I'm going to relieve that pressure. And, you know, and so. In a way, karaoke sort of became a healthier way to to blow off that steam, yeah. and and I think that's part of the reason everybody loves it is just like oh, you know, it's this thing that we can go and do and 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 kind of truly relax. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and there and there is a hashtag for karaoke. Right? Uh, yes, karaoke. And in fact, we even have the details which we got handed to us from the crowd. Um, thank you, Nikita. Th- thank you, Nikita. <laughs> <laughs> so karaoke tonight is 10pm at the Lolita Resto Bar Lounge. Um, and it's going to be amazing. Which and it's just a few sponsored blocks away from the hotel. by Johns yes. Hopkins University. And this year it's actually all of the funds raised when people pay their entry fee actually go to a scholarship, do they not? Yes, it's a, a suggested donation at the door. Yeah. Um, if, if you don't do the suggested donation, you're kind of a bad person, so be right. prepared. But, um, it's like coming but, to the Met. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. we, we should probably edit that out. Um, but so everything you contribute at the door goes to the MCN Scholarship Fund, so you know, you're, 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 um, you're thinking of the children. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good cause. So, uh, yeah, so I think we're going to we'll button this up here. Um, Thank you again to Parska Films and MCN for having us. Right. Um, uh, the, all of what we talked about, if there's any pertinent show notes, we'll, we'll put them uh, on, the, on the URL, which is museopunks.org slash one zero. Um, we'll, <gasps> We're moving into the... Double digits. Today. Yeah. Yeah. Nice, guys. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Nux. Yep. All right. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, follow along at uh, and, uh, hashtag MCN Punks and yep. MCN Punks. And we're going to be doing, we've got one more show whilst we are here at MCN, and it's going to be a really exciting one. We're talking about the way technology is changing the way we experience the world and what it's doing to our perceptions of the world, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, it's a super cool topic, so I uh, hope to see some people here in the room. Thank you guys for, for hanging out with us, and thanks in the room if you're watching. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we'll see you tomorrow. Awesome. Ciao.